Hello and welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. The researcher on this episode was Dovala Ni Vrenan, and the editor was Eliza Bacon. This week, we are joined by Tessa Costa Donacimento to speak about social transgressions and the digital influence trajectory in Brazil. Tessa is a doctoral student in business administration at Copiad Graduate School of Business of the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro. Her PhD research focuses on influences and branding within the theme of consumer behavior focused on culture and consumption. She also works as a researcher at Copiad Center for Consumer Studies at the Federal University of Rio de Janeiro, working on topics related to digital influences, social media, human brands, and consumer communities. Additionally, she holds a bachelor degree in defense and international strategic management. Hi, Tessa. Hi, Shifu. Thank you so much for Thank joining us. Thank you for the invitation. So I just wanted to start by getting background into your research. It explores branding and consumerism in Brazil in the social media change. So can you tell us what is distinct about how consumer culture plays out in the digital age? Well, social media brought new possibilities for consumption. Now we have a third voice that emerged in this relationship between consumers and brands. So now we have someone sharing their own consumption experience, photos and videos posted regularly on social media that shows the consumer, yes, this product is good. You can buy it. I approve this product. So this generates for the consumer the sensation of a real experience. Yeah, definitely. And can you tell us a little bit about the spaces where the digital influencer phenomenon plays out? I was quite interested in your research methods of using netography to identify different data types and sources. In general, in Brazil, the most used are Instagram, YouTube, and more recently, TikTok. And you have to keep in mind that each platform has a different mechanisms. In terms of data, you can have posts on the official profiles, comments from followers, posts made on other pages such as partner brands, fan clubs. We can also follow the hashtag with the name of the influencer. So there are a lot of strategies that you can use to achieve this kind of data. Just with this digital influencer ecosystem and consumer culture, have you found that there's any trends that are specific to Brazil? I don't know if your research does compare with other regions or markets. My research is focused on one influencer, but for me to look to one influencer, I almost have to look for all of them because they connect with each other. So I have to look for the friends, for the colleagues. It's possibility to me to compare and contrast. In Brazil, we have increasingly observed the search for authenticity and social responsibility. There is a huge debate about the positive or negative contribution the influence can give to society. You have the good influencer and you have the bad influencer. So there are several episodes in Brazil that shows influencers that are doing a, not a good example, example in this moment. 
Very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about the digital influencer trajectory? Your research goes into that in quite some depth. How do people get to be influencers? What are the different types of influencers? And what are some of the turning points along this trajectory? First of all, anyone can be an influencer. If you post a restaurant where you had lunch and a friend decides to go to the same place, you are influencing someone to consume something. An influencer is an ordinary consumer. It's someone who starts to post on social media and sharing their consumption experience. Initially, this begins as a hobby. And with the evolution in terms of audience and relationship with the brands, this becomes, in fact, a profession. However, nowadays, you can see influencers starting this trajectory aiming at a professionalization because there seems to be a certain glamour that exerts a sedative force on some individuals who wish to have the same life. Of course, within these trajectories, there are turning points. So at first, when the influencer starts to reach a large audience and invest more in the production of content, she's being recognized by the influencer's community and by the brands. So then we have the first turning point where she becomes part of the community of digital influencers. Then she continues to grow, gain an audience and related to major brands traditional and famous brands until the moment comes when she begins to be so recognized that she's invited to launch products and even her own collections of products with some brands. At that moment, the second turning point happens and when the influencer starts to be recognized as a human brand. Now she is an influencer, but she also is seen as a human brand. In terms of types of influencers, there is a huge debate over what these categories really are and what types of factors we can use to distinguish these individuals. So the reality is that you cannot just rely on numbers to divide influencers into categories, but there is a kind of consensus that we have celebrity influencers, that is figures who have transcended the social media and achieved fame in the real world. They start to show a television, they start to show uh, traditional mass media. So they no longer are all in the social media. And at the beginning of the trajectory, we have the nano-influencers, who still have very few followers, but are considered more authentic and accessible because they have a very little audience. So people can talk more easily with these people. And they consider more authentic because they don't have a huge relationship with traditional brands. But between these two types, we can still talk about mega, macro, and micro influencer, all trying to move towards celebrity states. That is the goal. So the difference between these types basically lies in numbers, relationship with brands, and the perception of the audience in terms of authenticity, accessibility, and level of, of expertise. You can see how all of the different factors tie in together to boost the influencer up the hierarchy, I suppose. It seems like there is a bit of a hierarchy of influence. Very interesting. Let's take a short break. You are listening to the Global Digital Futures Podcast with Chipo Mapondera, where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the global south. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. 
So your research shows that consumers begin at the process of becoming an influencer based on goals of fun, self-expression. You mentioned it's a hobby, but maybe it's something a little bit more personal, I suppose. So using your research of Bianca Andrade as a case study, can you expand on how the goals change as the person gets more followers and a wider reach. So starting off just for doing it for fun and expressing themselves, but then, as you mentioned, becoming more professional. Perhaps there's changes in personal image and communication. Maybe there's new alignments to different values. What are some of the factors that change personally for the influencer along the trajectory? Well, social media has become a vastly different place than years ago, which was when Bianca started. At that time, she had few references about how to be an influencer and what lifestyle she could achieve. But today, this scenario is already quite different. As here in Brazil, we already have many celebrity influencers. The non-influencer can already start with a perception of career projection. So more and more people have seen the possibility of financial projection in their career as an influencer. So the beginning today is a little different than when Bianca started to be an influencer. However, these bigger influencers also must constantly deal with the change and the opinion of the audience. So Bianca, for example, started at 16 years old. Today, she's 27. We become a mother. So then the personal life of the influencer goes through transformation. And this can lead to transformations in the image construction. So Bianca today bets on a more sincere language more real life, he has the responsibility to her followers who see him as a social voice. Followers want to see what influencers has to say to the society. The socioeconomical class is a factor that strongly impacts the trajectory of the influencer. What I notice is that influencers of low income origin, like Bianca, tend to have a different speed in the production of content and to work with brands considered cheaper. They tend to create an audience initially focused on this low-income niche. And the interesting thing is that in Brazil today, mainly on YouTube, we have seen a movement in the use of these digital platforms as mechanisms of socioeconomic projection. Many people are changing their lives from YouTube's monetization mechanism. For example, some families have created channels and share daily videos showing their routines. Videos often exceed 1 million views. So this family starts to live exclusively on YouTube's income. The issue of gender is still unfortunately a very delicate factor in Brazil. In the beauty segment, we still see the predominance of female influencers, while in the game sector, we see the predominance of men. These are scenarios that are undergoing a transformation, of course, but there is still this link between segment and gender and the difference in pay between men and women. Women influencers receive less than men influencers. And another sensitive topic in Brazil is the issue of race. Black influencers have smaller numbers and are not so frequently hired by brands as white influencers. And besides that, they are also suffering with the lack of product. There is a huge difference in the availability of products between black skin and white skin. So this lack of product makes it difficult for black influencers to produce content. So socioeconomic, gender and race are top of importance in this trajectory of influencers in Brazil. 
it's interesting this issue of transgressions because I think that's a very important part of the social media trajectory and also maybe important part of the shaping of a digital influencer's persona. Can you explain what these transgressions are and how they impact the social influencer trajectory? We can say that transgressions is about an event behavior that shows violation of norms and rules. And these rules can be society ones, can be cultural ones, and can be about a relationship because influencer has a lot of relationships. They have a relationship with their audience, with brands, with other influencers. If they violate some norms about this relationship, they are committing a transgression. And these transgressions can lead something that we call online firestorm. Starts a negative word of mouth and this negative word of mouth growing, 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 growing until a moment that ever social media knows about this transgression. And the spread of the episode, both by followers and gossip pages are very important in this ecosystem of transgression. Bianca, for example, committed some significant transgressions such as admitting to have a lip suction when she always related her weight loss process to physical exercise and improved the eating habits, failing to put makeup on a bride who had hired her service to be at the mall with her family, and an eight years relationship and starts posting photos at parties. So there are some of the controversial situations that she had faced along her trajectory. Yeah. So another of Bianca Andrade's quite famous transgressions was that she was criticized or she famously criticized the feminist movement during her time in Big Brother Brazil, right? So can you tell us about the response to this transgression? It's interesting because that went beyond the digital ecosystem, right? It was in traditional media and also talked about in traditional media. So yeah, what was the response and how significant was it to Bianca's profile? In this situation, the big problem was that Bianca was building a market strategy for her makeup brand in the years before Big Brother around female empowerment. So when the public saw her criticizing the movement, they started accusing her of just using use the cause to promote her brand. But it is important to notice that Big Brother making possible a wide conquest of a new audience who has unaware of Bianca's complete trajectory. So it starts a big confusion on her social media. She immediately begins to lose followers. There are 400,000 or more. The team was in control of her social media. The team was like, oh my God, what she's doing there. There's a lot of comments on her social media. Say, what a liar. You just use the female empowerment movement to sell your product. You don't deserve it to be a woman. It's very serious. They become so unfair that, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Everything that I worked for, now you can see she's destroying everything. Profile administrators needed to clean up the comments, start to block some people. And the fans were divided. One part was disappointed. I can't believe she do that. I can't believe she said that. And the other part starts to strongly defend the influencer. She's human. She made a mistake. She doesn't know what she was doing, but she is a good person. So it started a real fight 
between her own audience, this situation occurs in extremely complicated Brazilian political moment, given the large number of cases of feminicide in Brazil, that a lot of women have died because of her partners. So for all of these issues and the cultural context, Bianca was severely attacked. So when she was eliminated and had the chance to watch everything that happened, she apologized immediately and put herself in a learning position. So within a structural sexism, she didn't not understand her speech sex and she become more aware, yes, but more careful with what she posted and trying to show that she was more conscious. She started making YouTube program on her channel, which discussed several social guidelines. So being in that learning position has worked for her from now. There's something that just came into my mind, actually, as you're talking about how aggressively she was attacked. And I was wondering, were most of these comments made by women? Were they made by women and men? Just because with the online female experience, women are more prone to be much more aggressively and violently attacked. And it might be for an event that happens, but sometimes it's not. It's just response to maybe casually posting something where you might look a bit sexy and you get some kind of really aggressive and violent responses because of that. So I'm just wondering who were the audience behind these attacks and is some of it to do with her being a woman? Oh, you are totally correct. The most part of the comments were from human, exactly. But at the same point, we have to realize that her audience since the beginning was focused on teenagers. We have women that said, you can do that. You can post this sexual forum. But also, we have the people that look to Bianca as an example. Something like Idol. So, this is two kind of movements. Yes, we have this problem of sexist comments yeah. in social media. It's very strong in Brazil. But you also have this place of idol of representative of an example that make people think that they have the right to say I don't like you anymore you are not the same person that I used to love let's take a short break join the global digital futures community follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at global underscore futures Let's keep the conversation going. So I think another transgression that Bianca Andrade has faced is with changes to her body, as you mentioned. So plastic surgery, which is very popular in Brazil, and generally, globally, augmentation surgery, such as Brazilian butt implants, BBLs, has been quite popularized by social media influencers. You know, if you think about the Kardashians. So... You did mention a little bit about the ecosystem of influences, the celebrity influences influencing the nano influences. So can you say more about the ecosystem of influence based on media, but also on societal beauty norms and how that's also reflected Bianca's trajectory? The ecosystem of influence is largely governed by the society standard imposed by society. And here in Brazil, there's a long tradition of showing the female body considered perfect in magazines and TV shows. So celebrities already suffer from questions in this regard in the past. So this for sure influenced Bianca's trajectory. There's no doubt about that. 
but she has had several plastic surgeries, always with the argument that it was a dream to modify the part of her body that bothered her. But what happened is that at a certain point, the audience started to question this, not only with Bianca, but with several influencers. What I see today is a question of this. And even the display of the dark side of plastic surgery. There are a lot of videos on YouTube showing this dark side, the plastic surgery that are not right. Many women have died in Brazil due to poorly performing aesthetic procedures, including submitting herself to clinics that are not official. So it's very serious right now. But for a long time, this aesthetic pressure made plastic surgeries an object of desire for many consumers and something almost mandatory for influencers from the moment they start to grow. They have to sell this image of perfection. But right now, as negative cases were exposed, and they started to be more openly questioned by the society, this practice also began to be questioned by the followers. So today's followers start to say, I want the real life. So Bianca starts to be criticized because she has a lot of aesthetic procedures. She did a lip suction. She did also a nose to operation. She increased her mouth. A lot of procedures. So people start to say, you're not the same anymore. You are so fake right now. It's quite interesting when you're saying that people want more reality. I feel like social media ushered in trends of more superficiality, but it's almost like maybe this is being rejected now. I guess we will see. So you have been mentioning different audience reactions, different positions of audiences, but just like to go a little bit deeper on who are these different audiences and how do they relate to their influences, especially in, in the face of transgressions. And maybe it's also interesting with different audiences who experience the influences across the ecosystem, maybe not directly on the influences Instagram page, for example, but through a celebrity blog or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the audiences? The audience of an influencer is not homogeneous. I mean, not everyone is there for the same room. So there are the fans. It's a love relationship that they have with the influencers. These fans are there 24 hours a day for better and for worse. It's like a marriage. I mean, they are there. <laughs> they are actually there. They see everything. Each story is each video on YouTube, each post on Instagram. And there is kind of fight to be the first person to comment. See, because if I can be the first person, there is a possibility that the influencer answers my comment and I want to be noticed by her. So these are the fans. But there are those who are there just because they like the published comment. I want to know more about makeup. So I follow this influencer just because I want to know more about makeup. But it doesn't mean that I love her. And there are also those who arrive precisely for the transgression, want to follow the controversy. I want to know what is going to happen. This kind of people usually knows about the influencer in gossip pages. And gossip pages now, it's a very important element in the ecosystem of influencers. And the interesting thing is that these positions can change because when there is transgression, the fans can be so disappointed that they can start to say, okay, I will continue to be here, but I'm not a fan anymore. We will be here just for your content, but I'm not a fan anymore. I don't love you anymore. 
And at the same time, people who arise because of the transgression can start to say, okay, I like her. Now I'm a fan. People who stop following the influencer can come back <laughs> someday because they say, okay, the transgression is over. Everything's normal again. I can't follow her again. But it's important to realize that the character narrative changes are only accepted when clearly demonstrated. Followers needed to perceive the change as real, as sincere, not as convenient marketing strategy. So in the case of Bianca, the problem was that the change was perceived by the followers through a big break in the narrative discourse. Because influencers since the beginning starts to create a narrative discourse. I'm like this, I do this, I like this. And she seemed to be a person. And followers start to follow her because of the person that she likes to be. But at some point, she seemed to be no longer the same. So people start to say, you're not the same anymore. And I don't know if I like this new version of Bianca. For a long time, she wasn't kind of fight with her followers because followers no longer feel identification with, with her figure anymore. Let's keep the conversation going. Send your comments, questions and feedback on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures or email hello at globaldigitalfutures.com. We might just give you a shout out on the next episode. Very interesting. So just to round off, are there, on the flip side of everything, are there some positive impacts to transgressions? Like if the influencer becomes a trending topic, do the transgressions really matter because they're being spoken about? That old school way of saying there's no such thing as bad press. And also there might be some positive types of transgressions like being counterculture or anti-establishment. Of course, transgressions does not just have negative impacts. However, its positive impacts are less evident and are often confused mm. because the transgression generates a word of mouth that makes the influencer to be known by a group of people who before the transgression didn't know him. The transgression creates an ecosystem mm. around it of opposition and support. This movement can be observed by the number of followers, which can increase even with the transgression. Yeah. She can increase her followers' rates because of the transgression. Yeah. It's a real possibilities. But this positive impact depends on the nature and the reaction strategy used by the influencer. The construction of an image, which can affect not only the credibility of the influencer, but also her relationship with the brand. For example, recently we had a case in Brazil of a fitness influencer who had a small meeting of friends at her home in the middle of the pandemic. So she lost more than 500,000 followers, more than $200,000 because people start to go to the brand's page and say, this is the kind of influencer that you want to work with. She's not a good example. So positive transgressions, such as supporting a particular social cause, for example, are accompanied by support from followers and a narrative strategy by the influencer to enhance the support. Mm. I mean, it's a speech that I'm influencer. I have social responsibility. So mm. I have to say something like, okay, you have to fight against the racism. Uh, here in Brazil, we have a um, popular belief. Talk uh, good stuff or talk bad stuff, but talk about me. So transgression functions kind of 
kind of like this me because if you talk about me, I'm going to be a trend talk yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. And this matters to me yeah. as an influencer. But the question is, what kind of engagement does the influencer want? Does she just want compliments? Yeah. Does she recognize the criticism? Or does she seek the perfect image? Very interesting. Those are all my questions, but I feel like it's something you can talk about for such a long time. And it's always changing, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? There's always some new examples yeah. and new trends in how all of this is working. It's very interesting. What's next for your research? Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? So my challenge now is to delineate this ecosystem of transgression. And they start to, to understand this movement between the audience because there are different types of audience. Because there's like a game between influencer and follower. Influencer does an action trying to stop the transgression, but followers came and say, no, it's not like this, and gave a reaction. Action again, reaction again. And it's moved so fast. Followers have memory. It's important to say that. The transgression can happen three years ago, but they remember. When a new transgression happened, they say, remember three years ago, she said that, 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 and that. And so the transgression never goes away. I mean, and the gospel pages in Brazil are very big right now. And there are really a, a mechanisms for understand what's happened because influencers start to be kind of friends with this page yeah because this page can be very hard with them fascinating thank you so much Tessa it's really really great to hear your research and looking forward to reading the next phase of it thank you Thank you for listening to this episode with Desa Nascimento. To connect with Desa, email desa.nascimento at copiad.ufrj.br. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and follow. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will really help with our ranking. And if you enjoyed the episode, please share the podcast with your friends. You can find us online at www.globaldigitalfutures.com and on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures.